Welcome to Get Hired in Cybersecurity with your host, Io Adiojo. Make sure to follow me on LinkedIn for more tips and advice, and feel free to message me if you need more information on how to get into cyber. I'd love to help you on your journey, and I do offer one-on-one services and coaching. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Get Hired in Cybersecurity. Today, we have a great guest, Aman Man, cybersecurity recruiter, sourcing all the way from specialty roles to CISO. Aman, thank you so much for your time today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be on here. Excellent, excellent. You know, you're my first international guest outside of North America, so congratulations. I appreciate that. Thank you for taking the time again. Oh no, that's I like I like hearing that. Thanks. It's it's nice to be uh, obviously around the the globe internationally. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So thank you so much. Um, I guess for our guests, can you can you uh, give us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, sure. I'll keep it very brief from the top, to be honest with you. I'm, so I think, as you mentioned, um, I'm in the cybersecurity staffing slash consulting space. So kind of my role in a really short nutshell is helping candidates in the cybersecurity space match up to opportunities um, across North America. That's been the sole focus for me for four years. And previously, I've done the same kind of gig in finance. So the, the real focus for me at the moment is cloud security, but again, that sort of knowledge spans from anything from C-suite level all the way to analyst specialty level in staffing. Excellent, excellent. Um, I, I guess one, one question I have is, what were the differences in client requirements from, let's say, the finance? Um, you did resourcing in finance, right? Um, yes. Yeah, so I assume that there might be more supply of financial specialists, I'm just assuming as opposed to the the landscape and environment in cybersecurity, what were the differences uh, between those two? So with uh, finance, I did that in the UK, but it's not too dissimilar. Um, I think finance, you, it's a checkbox of what clients need. So for example, let's say it's invoicing and payments and bills. If the person checks the boxes in terms of doing X, Y, Z and a number of, let's say, invoices, they're going to get the job. Whereas cybersecurity is a bit more complex, technical. They need to have different sets of skills compared to the business. And uh, yeah, it's uh, a different challenge, but all the same. But I think on the cyberspace, you've got to look at, let's say, softer skills a bit more, which I'm sure you'll ask some more questions on. Excellent. Yeah. And I guess if you can maybe elaborate on that, uh, on how so finance, it's a checkbox but on the cyber side. It's, it's, I guess it goes beyond checkboxes then. Yeah. Um, when we look at soft skills, um, I think probably five, 10 years ago, you would have seen completely different. It would have been, again, a checkbox role. The, the way that cybersecurity has increased in the business mind, i.e. what I mean by that is how they've actually come to a, a business making decision where they're actually sitting on the board to, let's say, um, Critical business topics, right? The cybersecurity person coming in from graduate level all the way to, let's say, architect, engineer level, they need to be a bit more well versed in business skills, communicating with the organization. Whereas finance, you're very much, let's say, you handle the accounts, that's how you add value. Again, I'm not speaking at CFO level there or finance director level because I never handled that, but that's kind of the difference I see. 
Excellent. Yeah. So, so definitely one role is more, uh, functional and, and in this space, there has to be, uh, an overall, um, awareness of the organization, so to speak. Uh, how, how can, in, in your opinion, candidates gain that, that skill set? Because there's a lot of information out here sp- specifically focusing on the technical skills, right? Uh, so much so that, you know, people don't really understand that um, to, to hire you, we're going to have to pay you. And that money comes from somewhere. And that money, if the business has been running well, is probably a, within a budget. Right. So um, and that that leads to a whole other discussions. Right. So what what piece do you think uh, cybersecurity, aspiring cybersecurity professionals or those looking to get in are missing? Because some people are transitioning from fields where it's, it's a checkbox. Right. So. They come in with that mindset of, all right, let me just check the checkboxes off, right? But this whole piece you're talking about, they're just completely unaware of it. So how can they fill in that gap? It's a good question, actually. And I think first and foremost, it's not just about people aspiring to, let's say, learn about business skills. And I think it comes from the organization, first and foremost. What training are they adding into the business? to allow people to to grow, to develop, and ultimately get that wider range of skill sets away from the technical end. But let's say extracurricular wise, it's really getting in bed with, let's say, business books, business articles, news articles on recent attacks, breaches, the trends, these kind of things that you can do in your spare time for 10, 15 minutes are the key fundamentals towards growth and again you're probably going to ask me some questions about interview stuff but i think that's the number one question that i that i the the number one thought i have is look at the business goals objectives and how you can fit in first and foremost and then that's the way you're going to be successful but again it comes from the company first and foremost what are they doing to train and develop you okay perfect perfect thank you so much um yeah so on, on your point about interviewing um what what are clients looking for with um with aspiring or, or people already in the field sorry what's the general trend and and how do interviews te- uh, typically play out on the let's say graduate level they understand that people are not going to be a cyber expert at that space it is all about soft skills for me they find out right what what are your five ten year plans how do you want to fit into an organization? Really ask, answering questions about personality. They're not going to ask you questions like, what's your experience with endpoint detection, Java, you name it. They're going to really look at how you can actually come in enthusiastically, learn, develop, and what are you going to do about that? That's what the real focus is at the graduate level at the moment in the market. And what they look for Again, it's not the coders, it's not the programmers, it's that willingness to learn. Excellent, excellent. This is this is well said, and, and I, I think that there's this idea that you have to come uh, with all the tools in, in the bag, so to speak, and that's not the case. If you have a willingness to learn, and, and even just showing intent, which I find is sometimes lacking because you'll have a candidate just spray their resume off and you know, a company like mine or another one might not feel like they really care. They just want a job and, and nobody wants to hire somebody that just wants a job, right? They want to feel like you want to be here for a reason. 
you value being here and and, and you want to provide value over here right so it's really uh great you stated that um yeah so i wanted to talk about cloud security and, and that being your main focus uh with resourcing so what's going on in the cloud security space i know because of covid there's a huge push to di digital transformation um i've even you know understood that some companies are you know after they experience breaches they're just moving to the cloud right they're not they're not rebuilding over again yeah um just like you said uh, i think you touched upon it very well every company nowadays their biggest initiative in security is cloud um whether that's azure gcp aws most companies are one embarking on that journey or have done after some mistakes i think like you said covid accelerated it and it's getting to the point where companies realize that it's a business value they, they need to do it and ultimately that the way i look at let's say the whole information cybersecurity dimension that's probably the biggest opportunity again from a bias perspective for people to grow where they can come in at let's say security analyst level then grow into a junior engineer a, a senior engineer an architect people can really funnel their growth through cloud and ultimately i think the way that everything's going now cloud every job's going to have an element of cloud in and actually i want to link my point here to the last part where i said about interviews and what people are looking for they're not looking for people to have 10 15 azure aws gcp certifications it is that willingness to learn and that experience comes with time so i've kind of answered two questions in one there <laughs> Excellent. Yes, cloud security is definitely a growing space, and it's it's really going to intersect with security because it's not just cloud, but it's almost like it's the same the same term. Cloud security, cloud. Uh, there's there's always an element there. Um, I guess uh, what what skills within cloud do you think people should be be looking at uh, specifically, and and what's what's the market looking like? Are there more Azure shops out there, GCP, or or is anyone kind of okay to go with? For those who want to learn good and you know good question and um, around skills i would say again it's so company specific so i couldn't tell someone right learn this or learn that um that's not the way it should be again companies are the ones who train and have that specific requirement but out of the free cloud providers um aws is clearly the biggest probably i think it's got about 30 35 40 percent of the market share but the way I see the market and the way that I think it will go over the next five, 10 years is probably Azure will get very close to that piece. I think the reason why a lot of companies are sticking to Microsoft and again, or even going hybrid is you get the combination package with um, cloud, with Microsoft, you get SharePoint rolled in one, you get Dynamics, you get um, Office 365, and that helps companies save a lot of money. So. Azure for me seems to be the big player at the moment, but obviously AWS still has the market share. And even Oracle, Oracle's, again, I don't really touch too much Oracle, but I've heard a lot of news in the market that companies are moving into Oracle as well. So that's that's one to follow. Excellent. Yeah, definitely. Oracle's not really in the conversation on mass, but it's great that, um, you know, there, there, there are other cloud providers out there. I think people don't understand that. It's really not yeah. just uh, AWS as you're in Google, but there are other players in the game that, that have their own pieces to offer. Awesome. And I think, I think another part on that, let's say your GCP, Oracle, or IBM cloud, 
with companies now moving in to more of a hybrid cloud model, um, there's a real opportunity for you to grow your career in a niche like Oracle, in a niche like IBM, where you can be the go-to expert in that. There's not many out there. That means that one, your profile as a candidate is gonna stand out more. And two, on a monetary perspective, it's not all about money, but it helps that perspective, whether you're going permanent or contract, your skills are far more desirable to these companies because there's less of you than AWS and Azure. So that's a real point to mention as well. It don't, don't just think Azure, AWS are king. There's other ones out there that you can grow just as much on. Excellent. That, that's a great point there. If, if, if somebody wants to really accelerate their growth and be sought after, it it's, it's, can be helpful to go with one that's not as common uh, because it's harder to find. Awesome. Um, I see here also that uh, so you you don't only just source for um, I guess specialty roles, consultant roles, senior roles, but also even CISOs, which is uh, quite interesting. So I want to talk about that and, and how that is. Uh, what companies are looking for there? You know, it's changed so much, and I think the approach for me um, is so different. So when you're speaking about specialty roles, let's say junior analyst again, architect, you're very much talking about what technical skills they need, what do they need to do, how do they fit into the projects. Whereas at that C-suite level, you're thinking, how can they run a project? How can they develop a strategy and a roadmap? So it's completely different perspective in talking to these people because they're although they're part of one goal and one unit, they have so many different goals. Um, and sorry, I, I lost the last part of your question there. What was that again? Um, yeah, how, how is it uh, uh, inter like trying to interview them? Like, what is it like to, to onboard or look for a CISO? Yeah, it's completely different. Your approach, you know, with with there's less CISOs, there's less VPs out there. So it's a tailored, targeted effort. And again, you're not just looking at skills such as, right, you can do freight intelligence or, I don't know, Azure you're actually looking at so many fundamentals of budgets that they've run, how many, how much their size of team there is, what industry specific knowledge they have. Because again, these people are adding value to the business, the goals, and they, they need to be perfect. Otherwise, everyone else in that team who is joined will not be successful. And again, how does that affect the business with the amount of risk and attacks coming? A lot. For sure, for sure. Yeah, it's, def it's definitely a huge investment to make to, to onboard a CISO. Um, and actually, I want to add a point on that. I I've seen a lot more roles recently out there where let's say you're, again, I'm going down the technical specialty route. A lot more companies now are looking for someone who has been in that technical route over the last five, 10 years that can add value to both a CISO role, but also be able to communicate with the with the team there's been a lot of disconnect recently where the CISO doesn't really understand what the team does and a lot more companies are trying to mesh that together so if anyone's obviously has an aspire, uh, aspiring to be a CISO um, over the next 10-15 years you're in a great track from an analyst level above excellent so that so there isn't that push or, or real need to just jump over to the business side so soon uh, why they value it they, they really value that because again you can relate to people of both levels of let's say analyst level again i keep on mentioning that or you can then speak to the business so they're really looking for both and companies are really struggling with people who can 
do both sides. That's the the number one number one problem that companies are having in hiring now. Really? How come? Do you think that it's because um, there's a disconnect of information? I mean, th- there's there's not really that push that I see of hey, learn cybersecurity, but make sure to learn the business too. Or yeah, it's, go ahead. There's a there's a trail of thought on that. So it's training and development internally, in my opinion. Um, again, let's say, for example, you're, you've grown up as a, a very hands-on computer programmer, right? You, at the age of 18, 22, 25, whatever it is, you're, you're new to the industry. You don't have all of the skills required, right? And some people will get promoted by osmosis being great at their job in that technical speciality. But realistically, they're not getting the training and development from the companies to then transition into that managerial role, that director role. They're just being given that because they're amazing at one thing without that trajectory of growth. So that's the disconnect there. I blame, again, I I don't, I say blame very loosely, but I look at it as the company's prerogative to train these people into that role. They're not gonna be a match for it straight away because that, that's not how anything works. You always start somewhere. Understood, uh, I definitely agree, yeah, it's a, uh it's 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 a merit-based or or work-based promotion like you said through osmosis of just being better and getting those skills right so it's not necessarily that um the business skills were gained through that process uh it still seems to be at the on the outside so uh definitely definitely understand that point there and in in the market right now right um i made a post yesterday about uh this common theme that's that that i see on linkedin about um catch 22 right it's hard to uh, there's a demand for cybersecurity professionals low supply but then there's a bunch of people who want to get in that can't get in and i think and, and speak on this as well is is that there's a need for experienced cybersecurity professionals and the, the common uh patch to this is hire us train us and, and we can help you but what i'm seeing is if you hire somebody train them they're going to be out for double the pay by the time you get to use what they learn so that's what i'm noticing and also from the the client perspective right you can either spend the money you have to get the get things done now or you can hope that whoever you train and bring on um wants to stay and is loyal based off of the goodness of their hearts and commitment to to you regardless of money i think yeah you're right on that the the perspective of people you know they'll have two years experience and again they'll jump for double the pay to amazon to google microsoft whoever it might be but really it's the way i look at it is that's the company's fault they're not providing the the training, the development for people to want to stay. They're not offering options such as remote, whereas the other company down the road are. There's so many things that go into someone wanting to stay. The management might not be right. It all comes from top down. So realistically, if people are leaving, I don't look at that as a client problem. I look at that as their own problem because they're not doing their best to retain the talent. And it sounds, again, like it's a one one picture fits all because there might be other problems such as budget such as let's say training you name it the ceo might not approve but people want to stay for leaders and money isn't always the be all and end all and um, there's a company that i hire for and i won't mention them but 
they pay security architects 900,000 a year, crazy money. That's like CISO money, more than CISOs in most companies. And what you find is their culture is so bad, people leave to take 300K after a year. They've joined there for the money, the 900,000. They realize that it's not great. So what do they do? They leave to take a, a pay cut. So it's all about culture, processes, people. The money's always a byproduct. It's great. It gets you through the door, but it's the, the business is prerogative to keep you. Excellent. You said you said 900,000. Um, I think I've done some security architecture work in, in the past. I'm just joking. Oh. <laughs> but wow, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a great point. I mean, um, the, the field promises lucrative pay and I think it could kind of put blinders on to people because once you get it, um, these these jobs could really constrain you out if, if you if you don't watch out right on these projects. Um, and, and some jobs, you know, you're, you're right. People do stay for leaders and people do stay for, for personal growth and, and just how they feel. Um, it's, it's not all about the dollar amount. It's not all about just chasing the big bucks. So that's that's definitely a huge component that I, I see. Um, you know the market's facing right now right is, is how to foster that environment uh because for so long it's been this uh this i mean i'm, I'm quite young but I've, I've seen this um culture of okay like you, you you never stay at a company for too long right that's the that's the the motto i've been hearing and then i in the and i don't want to say old days but back then right um you know you see, i see people that have just stayed in the same company some of the ceos of lockheed martin RBC. I mean, they've they've been from internship and they just rode the wave all the way up. Uh, yeah, there's something to be said about that. And you're right. So I, I'm I'm 25, um, and you know, you see people in a company for 27, 28 years, and if, nowadays that's looked that's frowned upon. Eight in the 80s and the 70s, that would have been like great. They're a company man and loyal. But COVID's changed a lot of perceptions on what is a good workplace, right? Do they offer you benefits? Do they fit in with your work-life balance? Do they do they fit in with your gym time? You you name it, whatever it is. That's what people are craving right now. And I think when people look for people in cybersecurity, if they've been in a company for that long, they're very they see the company see them as very institutionalized. They can't change. They're not agile enough. And as you know, obviously you're you're in this space. Cybersecurity changes every day. There's so many different tools, projects. So I think there's always a good thing moving on from companies every two years, every three years, you learn your trade, you take that, apply that to somewhere else with better training and development, and you're going to be seen as better in the market. But a point on that and sort of where you mentioned to me that people are leaving for double the pay, some CISOs, and again, very few see that as a community good. As long as these people now are going into the market to protect businesses, that's good. I've done my job. I, that's all I can do. It's helping the wider good. So there's a there's a mix and match on it both. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's, it's not really just it's a different context nowadays with how it's perceived. And I, I feel that way, too. I'm, I'm, I'm 24 and I, I kind of wish I was in the 80s where I could just stay at one company for a long time and just, you know, aspire to be CEO. Right. Like I can't, I'm kind of sad about, oh, man, I can't I can't just have like that nice just. 25 year tenure at my company and just kind of get get my badge of honor for that it just it just seems like that's something i can't do right so it, it hurts me because i wish 
um and that's just just a personal thing though because I, I feel like some people still feel that way right they want to just stay and just grow and and just stay within the organization right but it's kind of like there's a a negative a, a a point of negative returns after a certain point in time it's a generational thing that the the perspective of like moving companies or not obviously when you're a bit older they they think that that's loyalty stability and that's great you know that that worked back then um but now i think majority of our age obviously we've got a year difference between us but a lot of people in that space kind of think wow um you've been at the company for that long it's you know what what have you learned what are you doing more but there's something to be said about like you said growing through a company you can you know you look at some of the big companies now their ceos like you said they started there as an intern 30 years later they're a ceo so there's pros and cons to it like i would never say to someone leave after two years because you might have a great situation where you're constantly developing and the company's great so who knows it's there's two trials of thought on it yeah yeah that's that's very true um one one thing i wanted to touch on too was just how how clients are using resources and what model they're using them as because you can you can take on full-time you can take on uh, contracts right and then and then so what's what's what does a client want when they get a contract right is it just that they want something finished and they want it to be done to completion by an expert and they have a budget for it whereas the full-time is okay come help us um you know run this and, and improve this and um i had this thought and and give your opinion on it that because of how hot the market is and the movement will companies lean towards contracts to get things done um you know that that's such a tricky one because um there's so many factors to play into finding a part well someone to get on boarded to a company so i look at hr being one of the models they typically want people to be full-time no matter what just because of obviously the, the business continuity um the way i see the market most companies 90 percent on full-time but when you have that specialist skill set that you're looking for they will go to a you know with your company with a ey with whoever it is to to manage to do the managed service and just control that project through that specialist skill or microsoft even um the way that i work and the way the market is like you say on average i saw this day it takes a company eight months and 13 days to find a permanent member of staff so the way that i go in with that is look i've got a list of contractors now who are experts in their field they can come into your project within three days I can get them into your inbox within 10 minutes. They can come in and start work in three days. That way then you're not lagging behind on projects. There's um, you know, there's a cost saving benefit to it to some extent. And again, they can add upskill your team because contractors tend to be, you know, moving from project to project, learning so many different things. They'll train and upskill your team, but ultimately they can be a short-term solution and you can go get a permanent member of staff in that meantime. So there's pros and cons to, to all three. I'd say if you're starting out, and I know that's what your podcast is all about, I think the permanent route is probably the best route because, again, you get the processes, you get the people, the technology. And when you start getting a bit more specialist, contract is best. 
Um, and I don't know if I've answered your question there because I've kind of gone on 10 different routes. So I apologize. No, you definitely, you've answered it. You, you've, you've identified the differences between the two, um, I guess, timelines as well. So being new, definitely, you know, full time, get that experience and then uh, contract work. I know it's a lot more money. Um, oh, more. Wow. Excellent. And, and yeah, I know it's a lot more money and, and people just you know, do that, do that, uh, for, for a very long time in their careers and maybe take breaks after a few months and, and relax. Digital nomad. Hmm? Pardon? It's like a digital nomad, isn't it? I've got a lot of people who do their contract work while they're traveling the States in a caravan, in, wow. a, in a motorhome. So, you know, if you want that life, it's fantastic. Um, and I think for companies as well, I think they need to realize that contract needs to be part of their business portfolio because you're taking eight months to find someone. Yes, you might be paying more for the contractor, but how much money are they saving you in the process? So they, they need to think about that. That's my opinion. Excellent. Understood. Understood. And and that, and that's a that's a stat I didn't wasn't really aware of of the eight months to a lot can happen in eight months in the cyber world if you don't get it fixed. Exactly. And there's a lack of urgency sometimes, but that's kind of the that sometimes the individuals you deal with. But it depends on the person. Okay, so I'm I'm assuming that again you, you work with companies and there has to be a key decision maker that runs the strategy and decides or comes to you and says i need this person um has there been any like roadblocks in kind of understanding what what the the client needs like is it do clients come um knowing for certain what they need and what gap to fill or or is there a bit of a process to even figure that out that that they might be missing really really good question actually and this stems from job descriptions so um, job descriptions typically are written by the HR and talent teams of the businesses and the CISO whoever it is doesn't really know what what it is what it says and ultimately they'll list every responsibility in security that they need so essentials are x x x x whatever it is and you're not going to get someone who's a specialist in everything that, that the job description says in a very broad term. So how I try and uncover is look at every single thing that they've said. And literally, it's really easy. How, how essential is this? How much experience do they need with that? Are there any areas that are more important than others? What are the essentials here? That's how we work about it. And then ultimately, we work out, right, which of our candidates are good for this? which are not, and we, we make a process of elimination. So that's because the CISOs and the, the leaders don't necessarily know what they're looking for. They're, they're looking for the perfect person, but you've got to educate them that in cybersecurity, there's so many different domains, so many different technologies. You're not going to get someone who's perfect at everything, are you? Definitely not, no. Yeah, it's very, that's very true. Some of these, uh, these job descriptions, I mean, I saw one from my role and it was like, everything my entire company did in one and i was like this is this is not going to work for the extra money um no thanks so excellent um i didn't want to touch on a few things as, as we're wrapping up um at the 30 minute mark here um resumes right so when you when you see when a resume comes across your desk what are some things that pop out to you and and, and that impress you and what are some things that you really don't think should be on there First, I always look at LinkedIn first. LinkedIn's always the first one um, to look at. Um, that sort of gives you the general gist. 
if, if someone's experienced enough. Um, that's always first number one. Resumes, they the things that I like looking at there, really simple words. Like you've seen, have you seen the stat where you know people look at a, C, a resume in three seconds and determine if they're good or not? It's so true. It, it, it literally it is so true. Make it as simple as possible in two pages for me. Other companies might be different. Other people might be different. But what are your core expertise? I.e., are you a network engineer or are you an Azure specialist? Just list that, and that will help help companies or even me. I don't know. Realize right. What's the what's the value add? Where can they come in and add value? Just short, succinct, and sweet because people look people don't CISOs, and I'm not going to mention me in this because that's my job. But CISOs, they don't like looking at resumes. They just want to know if you can do the job so keep it short and sweet that's the main thing but your linkedin's your number one and to add on to that part the linkedin i think that's the best way to find a job in cybersecurity. like you do post content out there build a brand for yourself a name and that way people understand who you are what you do and you can get offered a job without even showing a resume that's how a lot of connections handle finding opportunities how contractors find opportunities so your resume is just for companies that don't know necessarily who you are, whereas LinkedIn's all about who you know that can find you a job. Excellent. I, I totally agree with that. And I'm so glad that you interjected with the with the LinkedIn instead of the resume because it just shows the importance of it, right? Like a resume, okay, before we even touch that, like we gotta that's after the LinkedIn or or if you don't have a LinkedIn, right? So it just shows the importance of that. Um and, and I, I say it all the time, too, that LinkedIn is, is the number one place for recruiters, right? It's it's um, it's the holy grail uh, for recruiters. It's, it's very essential for, for them. So having a good LinkedIn helps, right? And being active, too, updating it. And um, I'm so glad it exists. Um, yeah. Also on that, um, you know, when we people say updating and they, they think they have to post a lot, it's not even that. It's commenting on other people in your network's posts making a vested interest in i don't know the local CISO or director of information security you name it just commenting getting your name out there to other people that really adds value um i think people then naturally look at your profile you get more views it doesn't have to be the most perfect post just show your name out there like three four times a week and i guarantee you in three to four months you'll have people knocking on your door on your linkedin saying, are you looking for an opportunity? And that's the perfect way for it. It's not going to happen short term, but long term. Wow, you'll never have to do an interview again. I love that. I love that quote, like that term. I, I use it myself all the time. You never okay. have to. Yeah, you never have to do an interview again. That should be the goal of, of networking. That's what it affords you um, is, is to never have to go through the tough process of being essentially in a respectful way a nobody right and then on on or an outsider right a, a stranger so to speak just to i mean to being someone that's already known and vouched for and i i my current job was from a referral and i knew from then yeah i knew from then on that i would never do this whole resume submission interview thing like there's somebody out if i don't know somebody from there i'll i'm not applying to it no 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 there's right. no point it, because there's a thousand other applications there and you'll get lost in the post on that and actually to your point there where you said that i don't interview for roles um again and also i want to 
make a point to people that it doesn't matter about your likes or your engagement. There are 90% or 95% of your LinkedIn connections will not view, will not do any engagement with your posts, but they'll see you every day. So don't be discouraged looking for likes. They'll see you and I bet you anything within three months, they'll come to you and they'll go, oh, I love your content. I love what you're posting or love what you're commenting. So it's not, it's like the Instagram thing, right? You post a picture, you, you only get 10, 15 likes. So what people are seeing it. That's true. That's very true. The, the LinkedIn algorithm is very, very, um, it's very nice. I mean, it's like, it's almost like they promote good content, right? Instagram, they don't even Yours let you own set. Pardon? Yours comes up first every morning for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, I didn't know so that. that shows I, good content. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. I, I got a, I posted one yesterday that had like two legs. I didn't know what was going on, but this, this made me feel better. <laughs> People are still seeing it. They are. Everyone sees it. I guarantee it. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah. I mean, is there, is there anything else you'd want to kind of say to um, aspiring cybersecurity professionals to look out for, make note of, um, keep in mind when, when going along their journey? Yeah. Keep patient on it. You know, you're not, um, you know, people often give up after a week or two. Um, it takes a lot longer than that, like I said, on the LinkedIn side. So keep it up. You know, you're you're going into a profession that, in my opinion, well, actually not even opinion, it's factual, is the least um, skill. Sorry, let me word that again. You're going into a, a, uh, an industry where there's the least amount of professionals in, meaning that if you come in and you do well, you're going to be highly sought after. You're going to be adding a lot of value to a company and that's where the career progression comes in. So keep at it and you'll be one of the few there dominating in 10, 15 years. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today, man. Um, where can people find you or reach out to you if they want to chat? Always on LinkedIn for me. So um, yeah, um, you'll find my name. I'm, I work at James Adams. If that helps, my name's Oman Man, James Adams. That's how you can reach out. All right, excellent. I'll make sure to put the, uh, the link to your LinkedIn in, in the show notes so that, uh, you know, if, if uh, people want to reach out to you, just say thanks or, you know, give thanks to the wisdom you've gave, given us today. I just add that in as well. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for your time today, man. Um, it means a lot. I'm excited to post this. It was, it was wonderful to speak to you. Right. And thank you. Obviously, great work that you're doing as well. So thanks for your time. Excellent. Excellent. Have a good day. Bye now. And you. Bye.